0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Court of Appeals. Uh, your panel this afternoon consists of, to my right, Judge Jeff Carpenter. To my left, Judge Fred Gore. My name is John Tyson. We have one case on the docket this afternoon for argument, the Department of Environmental Quality the Division of Water Sources Resources versus the North Carolina Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, would like to introduce, uh, our clerk, Mr. Eddie Saunders, and our uh, marshal, uh, Richard Vermilliard, who's here today, and appreciate them being here. Are there any preliminary matters before we begin from either side? Okay, within hearing none, we will uh, hear from the appellate. I'd like to welcome the many interns and who are here with us today, too. You, You gentlemen have a nice audience today.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. I'm Jake Parker, the Secretary and General Counsel of North Carolina Farm Bureau Federation. I'd like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. Okay, Mr. North Carolina Farm Bureau filed this contested case petition to hold the Department of Environmental Quality and the Division of Water Resources accountable for violating the Administrative Procedure Act when it issued three animal waste general permits. The animal waste permits contain three conditions at issue. They regulate animal waste management activities on swine, cattle, that is dairy farms, and wet waste poultry operations, or are egg-laying farms uh, in the state. The three conditions are uh, groundwater monitoring in the 100-year floodplain, or for facilities that are in the 100-year floodplain, conducting phosphorus loss assessment analysis or tests on certain fields, and the filing of annual reports with the department that would be made or may be made publicly available upon request. If enforced, the harms that NCFB members will endure will not easily be remedied. And we argued below um, three arguments, but we're presenting two to you today. The first is that the conditions were unadopted or are unadopted rules under the APA. We call that the rule issue. And the second is that the renewal process that resulted in these three conditions being included in the permit was improperly influenced when the division used a swine draft permit that was negotiated behind closed doors. Uh, to s- resolve a Title VI complaint. At OAH, two ALJs agreed with us, the North Carolina Farm Bureau, on the rule issue, but one granted summary judgment to the department on the sue and settle issue. Uh, the Superior Court on PJRs or petitions for judicial review reversed on the rule issue and affirmed on the sue and settle uh, ruling. The conditions have not yet been enforced uh, since May of 2020 uh, after ALJ Overby's ruling on the rule issue. He stayed enforcement of those three conditions. And then this court issued a writ of supersedious on October 12th of last year, uh, staying the enforcement of those rules. Uh, We contend the Superior Court's decision is erroneous and that this court should reverse. I'd like to set the table, if the court will allow me, just for a minute on these uh, general uh, permits and how they function. They are created by statute, these animal waste general permits, that is. And they appear in Part 1A of Chapter 143, Your ordinary, I would say, general permits, dealing with, let's say, construction or uh, sedimentation, erosion control, or those type of permits, they appear in part one of chapter 143. And so these animal waste permits are a creature of the legislature. They are created by the General Assembly. The purpose for the General Assembly's act in this area is uh, stated at 143-215-10A. And there, the General Assembly found that animal operations have significant and other benefits to the state. And then it discussed the idea, the statute discusses the idea of needing to balance growth in that industry with environmental safeguards. And to that end, the General Assembly stated it's creating a permit program to protect water quality and promote innovative systems and practices while minimizing the regulatory burden.
2: Council, on on the issuance of those permits, are are, are there limitations on what or how a farm can operate? um without getting the permit or what is the application of of the implication of not having the permit in the renewal process
1: your honor that leads me into the second statute i was going to reference That's 143 215 10 c that's the statute that creates it and the first sentence of that statute says essentially a farm has to have a permit in order to operate to your question general statute 143 215 6a and 215.6B provide for civil and criminal penalties if farmers are operating without these permits. So you must have a permit in order to operate uh, an animal waste facility in North Carolina.
0: Is there limitations on the number of uh, animals before it's triggered or is it based on one?
1: There's a statutory definition of an um, animal waste facility. Uh, I didn't cite it in my notes, but it's cited in, in our brief, uh, in a footnote. But yes, there is a, a trigger after a certain number of animals, then you have to follow. Uh, you have to go get one of these permits. You have to participate in the program. Um, and the, back to the, the statute, 215.10 uh, c Farmers must secure a permit, and that it can be either an individual or a general permit. But the General Assembly expressed an intent, and we think this is really important. That most of the permits shall be general permits and then the, div- the division is authorized by statute to require or they may require uh, a facility operator to to get an individual permit to protect water quality public health or the environment and we note um, under sub or excuse me paragraph uh, C of that statute the division has full discretion to grant or deny applications Now the general permits, I think this is the nicest thing I will say about the other side's brief or their materials. Um, At Doc X 303, in one of the affidavits by uh, one of the permit writers for the division, we get a description of what a general permit is and what an individual permit is. A general permit, and I'm summarizing briefly just to keep it tighter, general permit provides a single set of terms that apply to multiple sites operated by different permit holders. In contrast, an individual permit applies a tailored set of terms to individual operations. There are approximately um, 2,000 general permits uh, that are currently in issue, and there are, uh, at the time of our briefing below, um, according to Doc X 580 through 582, there are about 140 individual permits that are currently outstanding or in operation. And the general permits are renewed approximately every five years. So, we had renewals in 2004, 2009, 2014, 2019. There's currently a renewal going on now. Now, I'd like to turn to the rule issue, which you uh, consider as de novo uh, the standard of review. And we contend the three conditions are rules under the APA. And we note the department did not adopt the three conditions as rules prior to their inclusion in the general permit. Uh, thus, under 150B18. Uh, The division is barred from implementing or enforcing those three conditions because they were not promulgated as rules. Um, We look to the definition of rule at 150B2, paragraph 8A. It is clear and unambiguous. No party has argued to the opposite. Judge um, ALJ Overby concluded that that was the case there. Judge Sternlicht below did not uh, make a ruling on that issue. And so, thus, the plain meaning of the statute, the text controls. There's no reason to look to other statutes or other uh, areas of law. This this statute should control the outcome of this case.
0: Mr. Parker, let yes, me sir. ask you this: mm-hmm. um, I think we need to probably look at the standard of review that we have here, as well as the standard of review that Judge Sternlich had mm-hmm. um, over the ALJ, Judge Overbees. Um, so obviously. The ALJ is operating under 150B. Correct. And they're the fact finder. Mm-hmm. So when it comes up on judicial review before the Superior Court, what is the role of the Superior Court judge at that point?
1: Your Honor, as, as we see it, the role of the Superior Court judge is the a, a conclusion of law is going to be determined on de novo review. Uh, so an and that's inter- the
0: same standard here, correct? Correct.
1: That is correct, Your Honor. So
0: the Superior Court in this court has the same standard as courts of review, not a courts of making findings.
1: That's correct, Your Honor. And uh, I don't have the case site off the top of my head, but I recall in our briefing, the the trial court sits as an appellate court when they review these type of cases. So yes, the de novo review standard applies.
0: So are you arguing Judge Sternlich applied the wrong standard of review when when he overturned Judge Overby?
1: No, Your Honor, we're just saying that he got the conclusion wrong, that his, his analysis was incorrect.
0: Okay, there are parts of 150B that are whole record, the numbers five and six. Correct. And then the one through four is de novo. Correct. And sometimes it's difficult to determine exactly where those fall in. Yes, it is. And this is the reason I want to make sure that we have some... Uh, understanding of what this court's role is as it relates to those.
1: Yes, and again, we are contending your, your uh, standard review here on this rule issue, this interpretation of the statute is de novo.
0: The same as Judge Starling.
1: Correct, that is right.
0: Okay, so we, would, we, we are not bound by any determinations either by the ALJ or by the reviewing judge?
1: That's correct, Your Honor. You have a clean slate.
0: Okay, so is that under... Uh, 150B, would that be subsection 1, 2, 3, or 4? It would be the
1: error of law? Um, I don't have the statute in front of me. It would be the error of law, correct, yes. This, this one is error of law, yes. Okay. So looking at the error of law, we, we have two, I'm gonna approach this in two arguments. We have our conclusion or our interpretation of the statute that I'll lay out, and then I wanna address Judge Sternlich's conclusion on general applicability, uh, because I think either way you look at this case, we win on our interpretation of the statute or under the general applicability uh, standard or issue. So, uh, looking at the statute, uh, uh, 150B28A states uh, a rule is an agency, regulation, standard, or statement of general applicability, excuse me, applicability that implements or interprets an enactment of the General Assembly or Congress or regulation adopted by a federal agency Or that describes the procedure or practice requirements of an agency the statute is very broad in scope and there are 12 exceptions that come after that we infer from that that the general assembly wants a lot of agency action to go through the rulemaking process and that makes sense to us because there are procedural protections while it's a, a time consuming and laborious process that's true we engage in that process in a number of different ways through our public policy work it is it is important because it provides those procedural protections including the rulemaking requirements themselves legislative review under 150b 21.3 periodic rule review under 150b 21.3a the preparation of fiscal notes which wasn't done here 150b 21.5 paragraph b1 and the rules review commission process and our concern is that if the court doesn't hold deq accountable here they can continue to add regulatory burdens onto farmers through the general permit process rather than going through rulemaking. Now the statute itself describes three categories of agency action. You have regulations, you have standards, and you have statements of general applicability. And those actions then have to implement or interpret a legislative enactment here, General Statute 150B, 10, uh, point .1015 or 10C, or a federal regulation or a practice or procedures of an agency. And when you apply the three conditions to this definition, we think you get to a pretty straightforward and intuitive result. The general permit conditions regulate activities on an animal waste facility or on a farm that has to have one of those permits. And that it it implements 143.215.10C, an enactment of the General Assembly. Those permits, they're, they're quasi-legislative in nature. They look like, and we've mentioned this in our briefing, they look like legislative rules under the Rate Bureau decision. Specifically there, the court, and this is the Supreme Court at 300 NC uh, 411, described legislative rules as those established by an agency as a result of a delegation of legislative power to the agency. And we contend the general permits fill the interstices of statutes, and are within, uh, and within statutory limits set down by s- additional substantive requirements. We'd also note uh, and this is also intuitive they're called general permits, and they apply generally applica- they're generally applicable. Um, with that, I think that I struggle with this because there's not much more to say there. It's a pretty straightforward and intuitive analysis that these conditions regulate animal waste activities and they implement a statute. That's a rule under uh, the statutory analysis
2: counsel is there any discussion or in the creation of the three condition um, from the division that discussed where there was any exception um, for these conditions not to apply to anyone or, or or these conditions to apply to everyone
1: um no they're they're going to make the argument your honor this gets into the general applicability issue that, and and Judge Sternlicht concluded this below, that there's this automatic applicability idea that because the permits don't automatically apply, that is a farmer has to apply to get a certificate of coverage under the general permit or for an individual permit, that those permit conditions don't attach immediately to the farmer and therefore they're not generally applicable. And we don't think that's the right test because we we need to read the statute and look at the definition of general. That's really where we should be, inter- or the court should be in terms of its analysis. And as we laid out in our reply brief, we laid out several dictionary definitions of general, which indicate that the word means most or a majority. The, the core, I think, of Judge Sternlich's ruling was that general applicability means universal applicability. And that that just doesn't, that doesn't match with what the word general means in our view. And again, like I said, we pointed to dictionary definitions. One of them refers to common to most. This is a a reply brief, page 10, for us. Um, And that definition also aligns, interestingly, with the General Assembly's um, uh, statement of intent in uh, 215.10 C, A, where it said that most of the permits would be general permits. Uh, And that's also consistent with that distinction that I raised earlier between individual permits and general permits. Again, restating it, general permits apply a single set of terms to multiple uh, sites over multiple permit holders, whereas an individual permits tailored to a specific operation, it applies a set of terms to that operation. As we noted in our reply brief, there are federal cases that support that individual general permits distinction I think the Nugent case from the Ninth Circuit is probably the best, where it says there, uh, the legislative history, this is in relation to a FOIA case, thus indicates a rather obvious definition of general, that which is neither directed at specified persons nor limited to particular situations. So, to that conclusion, <coughs> these permits would be general, because again, there are 2,000 of them. And yes, there are some exceptions to that rule, but they appro- <laughs> apply broadly across a large class of uh, farmers.
0: Let me ask you this, is or are, are you contending that the agency can only issue the general permit and condition that only if it is adopted only if it has adopted a rule to support that imposition?
1: Well, let me repeat the question back to you to make sure I understood it correctly. Are you you're asking whether the division has to adopt a condition as a rule before it can include it in the general permit?
0: Well, that, that's, that's, that's putting it the other way, but I guess okay. what I'm asking is, would they first have to adopt a rule based on the application of the statute in order to include a provision in a general permit?
1: Yes, Your Honor. That is our that is our position, that they, they need to have some sort of rules support for that condition to include it in the general permit.
0: Is there agency discretion?
1: There would be agency discretion with respect to interpreting 143, that chapter. But in terms of determining what is a rule and what is not, there is not any agency discretion there. That's a a broader statute that applies uniformly across agencies.
0: So your position is before your client or your, your producers can be burdened by a condition and a permit, that they would have had have had the right to contest that through a rulemaking procedure?
1: Uh, your Honor, that the, the what we're contesting is the agency should have rules that are backed by statute before they can include them in the in the general permit.
0: Well that would necessarily go through the and that would, rules yes. review commission and Correct. The, the publishing of p- proposed rules, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. And is it your position that's what they must do before they can implement a permit condition? And the, the, They cannot do that in the absence of a rule.
1: Yes, that's correct, Your Honor. Okay.
0: Yes. And and now Judge Judge Sterling disagreed with that, did he not?
1: Yes, he did. He he contended that the 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 because these conditions were not rules, and this goes back to the general applicability argument. Because those rules were not, um, or because those conditions are not rules, they don't have to go through the rulemaking process, and so they can be included uh, in the condition when the department wants to do that. Now, there's a process for...
0: Would there be an independent basis short of rulemaking that would allow the agency to do that? Um,
1: I, I think they would obviously have statutory authority to add some things if there was a statute directly on point, or if there's, uh, uh, you know, but that, I think that would be the exception. They would have to say, here's a statute that you have that you can use. But otherwise, our view is these things need to be backed up in rules before they go into the general permits. Um, and, and back to the general applicability argument, if I can, um, this court's decisions in Walmart and beneficial, I think, are really helpful to our side. Um, as we note in our brief, they don't really get into the issue of uh, dissecting, um, 150B28A. What they do do, though, is they tell us what an individual agency action is. In Walmart, you had the Department of Revenue requiring a retailer to file a consolidated tax return in Beneficial NC. You have the Banking Commission denying an application to sell a non-credit disability insurance um, product. And those are very uh, individual-specific actions by an agency, which is not what we have here. Again, we have 2,000 farmers across the state who are operating under these general permits. Uh, Noting my time, I'd like to move, if the court is okay with it, to the sue and settle issue um, and and touch on that issue briefly. with respect to that, the Superior Court again. This goes back to our discussion earlier, Judge Tyson, about the, the standard of review. We we made an argument under all four of the prongs of 150b-23. Um, with respect to the first f- uh, first five, the court said we didn't cite controlling authority that goes directly to our claims. We we disagree with that. We su- we cited the APA itself. We cited uh, Rate Bureau as a case there. Um, But then, the issue uh, of arbitrary and capriciousness came up as well. Um, We recognize that's a very high bar, uh, but this court, uh, excuse me, the Supreme Court and Rate Bureau uh, stated that an agency action is arbitrary and capricious when they impose or omit procedural requirements that result in manifest unfairness in the circumstances, though within the letter of statutory requirements. Manifest meaning clear or obvious or certain. And we think the record shows that the, the process for renewing those generally, general permits was manifestly unfair. You had a situation where um, some organizations, including one of the appellees, was uh, concerned about some of the permit conditions. They, um, instead of going through the contested case process, filed a Title VI complaint with the Environmental Protection Agency, which triggered a discussion with the, the department uh, or negotiations with the department. Those negotiations originally didn't go uh, that well, I guess. And then we turned into a situation where it changed administrations and you have re intensified negotiations. And at one point, early in the process, some organizations that represent swine farmers tried to participate in that process but were told they could not. They were left out of the room by the complainants, the folks who brought the Title VI complaint. And what happened from there was the agency and the complainants negotiated a broader settlement agreement, but they negotiated specific permit terms. And the result of that negotiation was a swine draft permit, which was attached to the settlement agreement and that swine draft permit was used as the starting point for the renewal process. And what happened after that is we went through the notice and comment, uh, period. We admit we participated in that process, but at the end of the day, the, the issues, the new conditions because those three conditions were not included in previous permits, They were included in that draft swine permit and they stayed in in substance or concept the whole way through the process now we've laid out for you on page um 1331 through 1333 uh, the three conditions and their status as they moved through the process and it's a chart where we tried to lay out for you so you could see how these provisions moved and we believe this, uh, there, was, there was language in the settlement agreement um, relating to the division saying it committed to advance and explain the changes in that proposed permit through the process, through the stakeholder process and through the notice and comment process. And we believe this is a good illustration of that advance and explain.
0: Now, Judge Overby and Judge Sternlich dis- disagree with you on this provision, right? That's correct. Do you, do you think that's because of the high standard of review they were under, that you were under?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's part of it, Your Honor. They indicated that we didn't meet our burden there. Um, we, we think that it's manifestly unfair that farmers were excluded from that process and that that's where the starting point was uh, and that, that, that shouldn't be the way we're doing general permits or any kind of public comment process where th- we we concede and we'll say we engage with the department all the time. That's part of what farm bureau does. We are a public policy organization. We lobby, we engage with regulators, but we aren't engaged as is the situation here in a title VI complaint process an adversarial process that could affect the agency's federal funding and then using that as leverage to advance our policy goals. There's a big difference there.
0: Now that that was a suit against the agency itself, correct?
1: Yes, it was. It's a complaint, a formal complaint process that goes up to EPA and is adjudicated by them, and then they, they uh, this but one they moved down to the. Responded
0: in that in that action was the department itself.
1: Correct? correct. That's right, Your Honor.
0: And there were no private parties or private groups that were part of that. Is that correct?
1: Other than the organizations that brought the original Title VI complaint, but no other representatives or farmers or any other of those type of organizations were part of those.
0: And your position is, as a result of that, draft conditions now are included in every swine waste permit?
1: That's correct, Your Honor. Every swine, general swine permit, and also cattle and wet waste poultry operations. The whole Title VI process began as a a concern about the 2014 swine permit. And what's happened is that issue has infected dairy farms, or it applies to dairy farms as well, who had nothing to do with it. The same with egg-laying operations, although there are only a few of them left in the state.
0: How does the right to farm statute, does that have any applicability on how these statutes or regulations are interpreted?
1: It does not, Your Honor. But I would note that there's, just like with the right to farm statute, and this court's ruling in that case, there was a public policy purpose behind that. There's also one here, and that's in 143 21510 a that sets out there should be a balance, but we need to minimize the regulatory burden. For Thank you, Rosh.
0: Reserve the rest of your time. Yes, sir. We'll hear from the appellee. Mr. Bernstein. Good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon. My name is Mark Bernstein. I'm from the Department of Justice here representing the appellee Division of Water Resources. With me at council table, it's Mr. Taylor Crabtree, Assistant Attorney General. I'll be splitting my time today with the community groups who are also at police in this case. They're represented by Ms. Julie Youngman at council table. I'll be addressing both of the main issues here, the rule issue and the settlement agreement issue. And I'll try to reserve about five minutes for Ms. Youngman's um, statements from her client's perspective.
0: Can you preliminarily walk, walk us through your or the department's interpretation of the standards of review, both before Judge Sternlich can hear?
3: So certainly, this was a summary judgment case. So, in general, the standard of review is is de novo. However, there is case law that indicates that under under, for example, the arbitrary and capricious standard, that uh, so long as there is um, so long as there is evidence in the record to support the agency's view, then the reviewing court is not to substitute its judgment for what the agency did in this case, so it is a more deferential standard even though it is a de novo standard because it is uh, a summary judgment appeal.
0: Do you agree our court's review is the same as Judge Sternlich's review?
3: I do. Uh, Your Honors, the Farm Bureau has made it clear in their time here that they do not like three of the many, many conditions that are in the animal waste permits, and they do not think that the process for placing those conditions in those permits was fair to them. But the Farm Bureau's generalized notions of fairness and their policy disagreements are not for this court to mediate. The question here is whether the agency did anything unlawful, and the Superior Court reviewed the facts and the law and determined that what the agency did was proper. This time around, for this particular renewal, the agency simply disagreed with the Farm Bureau on some policy issues. There's nothing wrong with that, and there's certainly nothing unlawful about that.
0: What is the authority of the agency to impose conditions in the absence of adopting a rule beforehand?
3: The is given authority in 143-215.10C to adopt general permits and that's what general permits are. General permits are uh, permits that do not go through rulemaking and I can go through in a minute why that's the case. Uh, primarily because they're not generally applicable and they do not of themselves have enforceability against anyone. But that is the authority right there. It's very similar to an individual permit. When there's an individual permit, an agency looks at a facility, and on case-specific grounds says, in order for this facility to comply with rule X, Y, and Z, based on what you have here in front of us, these are the conditions that you have to meet. These will assure your compliance with these standards and and further the necessary goals of." of the statute. Since so it's, in, it's inherent in, in, this, in the general permit statute and the fact that these are permits.
0: Since the uh, settlement agreement with the, quote, sample condition attached as an exhibit, has the agency incorporated those three conditions in every permit, every general permit is issued? Uh,
3: the record is not clear on that. Those. The three, there were three, con- well, l- let me say this, there were many, many, many conditions in the settlement agreement that were bargained for by the Title VI communities, by the Title VI groups. The Farm Bureau has chosen to focus on three of those conditions, but as the record makes clear, even those three congi- conditions changed over time. And the, with regard to the other conditions that were bargained for by the Title VI groups, a lot of those did not even make it into the final permits. Uh, I could give Your Honours uh, several examples of, of those for example and this is this is what this is what the farm bureau has done by taking these things out of context they've said here's three conditions these all walked through the process but they ignore the other conditions that were that were bargained for by the title six groups it's, it's like showing you a deck of cards and trying to get you to rule that all the cards in the deck are diamonds by just ignoring the spades clubbed in hearts it's just bad logic I'll give you an example in the settlement draft there was a bargain for condition Uh, that the the settlement draft would have required farmers to take a sample from a waste lagoon within 48 hours after a discharge of surface water. That was something that the Title VI groups bargained for. The Farm Bureau, in their comments on the the stakeholder draft, took issue with that. That condition was removed from the final permit, never showed up in the final permit. The settlement draft would have required farmers to calibrate waste application equipment annually. That was a, a condition that was bargained for by the Title 6 groups and it was in the settlement draft, it was in the stakeholder draft. The Farm Bureau commented that it shouldn't be annually, it should be every two years. And the division changed that condition and said, well, it should be every two, every two years and that's what's in the final permit. The settlement draft would have required farmers to incorporate soil applied sludge within one day. The uh, Farm Bureau commented that that wasn't enough time. Again, this was a bargain for condition by the Title 6 groups that's in the settlement draft. So the division changed their position. They said, well, we can can do it in two days, instead of the one day that the Title VI groups want. Uh, There's there's a host of other conditions that follow this this path. So Your Honor asked whether the conditions that are in the settlement agreement are conditions for all of the permit holders. And that's not, that's not correct for two reasons. First of all, a lot of the conditions that were in the settlement ag- uh, agreement did not make it in to the final agreement, and they did
0: let, not let make it Let me rephrase it. the question then. Has the agency formulated, as a result of the settlement agreement, three conditions that it is uniformly including in every general permit?
3: No. Uh, those conditions do go into every, for every, entity that chooses to operate under the general permit, those conditions apply to that facility. But every facility has the unfettered discretion to say, I want an individual permit.
2: So, Council, on that point um, of choosing singular versus general permit, individuals who want a single permit, I imagine they're afforded the opportunity to present why, how, and have their due process as far as the argument presented am I understanding that correctly and present why they want a singular permit
3: they do not have to present that at all they have the absolute right to get an individual permit all they have to do is ask Un-
2: understood but there is an evaluation process that goes in to see if they qualify for the singular permit correct
3: uh, just like there's a, a an evaluation process that would determine whether one qualifies for a general permit not everybody gets
2: that. exactly so with these perm these conditions being applied to the general permit versus the singular permit what is the process to evaluate whether someone would be eligible f- to comply with those three conditions versus a singular c- permit that doesn't have the three conditions
3: the agency would go through a case specific analysis of what that what that facility looks like. I'll, I'll give you a hypothetical example. There's a condition w- regarding groundwater that the Farm Bureau likes to talk about. That condition says if you have a facility in the 100 year floodplain, you have to conduct groundwater monitoring if you have the general permit. If someone came in and said, look, I've got only a tiny bit of my waste air, my, my waste facility in the 100 year floodplain, and I've got all this modern technology that's gonna protect the groundwater even though I'm in the 100 year floodplain. The agency could look at that on a case-specific basis and say, you know what, that's good enough to protect groundwater, therefore you don't need, the, you, you do not need this, the, the continual monitoring, f- even though you were in the 100-year floodplain.
2: And, so that would a, be a and that would be complying with rules and things that are conditions that are, I guess, codified within the agency, correct? Uh, yes. And that is different than negotiating terms in a Title VI settlement, Correct.
3: The agency, what the agency did in the Title VI settlement was.
2: But I'm saying, listen to my question specifically. There is compliance with regulations and rules. Yes. Versus the negotiation of a Title VI settlement. Are you, do you understand? I'm asking you. I
3: I, I think I understand your question. I I think the agency would not have put anything, would not have agreed to even offer stuff. In the settlement process, if it did not think it was supported by law and
2: the reason why I ask is because you brought up the the analogy of dealing the deck of cards, so I, or you know trying to show all the spades. I guess my question is, when we're looking at the analysis by the superior court, I don't care whether there was arguments about spades or diamonds or clubs. I'm looking at how the cards were dealt. And so, do you see why I'm asking the mm-hmm. question to get to the mm-hmm. analysis of what the superior court judge did? Correct.
3: All right. All right. And and so what happened in the the settlement process is, um, well, I want to step back and explain for a minute what the stakeholder process is and what the settlement uh, agreement really, really, really did. The stakeholder process, and it gets talked about a lot in, in the briefs, the stakeholder process is not required by rule. It's not required by law. It's essentially a bunch of interested parties sitting around at tables talking about stuff and the agency taking notes. That's all it is. And so all that the settlement agreement did was to say, here are some things that this group is interested in us talking about and we're gonna put them on the table to talk about in in this stakeholder process that precedes the more formal and required notice and comment process. And that's really all that the settlement did. It was just a starting point and it was a discussion point. And what the record shows, and there's affiant after affiant after affiant, from the agency saying, we understood that once that stakeholder process was done, we could do whatever we wanted in the um, process of determining what conditions went into the final permit. And in fact, <laughs> Linda Culpepper, who is the division director, who was the division director, testified very directly that she was the person who made the final call about what goes into those final permits, and she was aware of the settlement agreement, but by the time she was making the final call and what goes in and what what goes out and what the terms are, she didn't even remember what was in the settlement agreement. So it's pretty hard, we think, for the Farm Bureau to sustain an argument that the agency was somehow colored by this process when the person who was making the final call stated in her affidavit the very reasons why she included these permit terms in the condition uh, and statement and reasons that are not contested and reasons that have nothing to do with Title VI or anything of that that nature. She stated those things in the record and she said, I had no idea what was in the settlement agreement. I Would, was just doing my job and doing it, it independently.
0: Would you agree that if the agency was going to make conditions to be generally applicable on every permit, that that process should rightfully go through a rulemaking, the, the, the procedural protections that are uh, part of a rulemaking process
3: if the if a, if a condition was to be required by every 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 farm within the statute no matter whether it gets an individual permit or whether it gets a general permit It goes into every single permit that would probably be the case but the evidence clearly indicates that This is from the this is from the permit writer herself this is from the the, the, the chief of the program is Christine Lawson She said, someone comes in with a request for an individual permit. We have to honor the request that they're asking for an individual permit. And we're going to give them the conditions that apply to that facility. And those conditions, and she testified to this directly without contradiction, those conditions may be more stringent than what's in the general permit. They may be less stringent than what's in the general permit. But they're going to be what's
2: right for that facility. Council, using that logic, that that would seem to add some level of discretion for it not to apply to general permits though. If it has, if if these conditions apply to every general, and I understand your argument. Your argument is, well, not everybody has to get a general permit. But using your logic is dismissive of the fact that these should apply to every general permit, which they do, and if they do, then shouldn't the normal rule application or implementation have gone through to attach to the general permits?
3: No, because, and this brings me back to the case law. And this is really the intersection of the Rate Bureau case and the beneficial NC case. Um, what happened in those two cases? Those two cases started with someone applying for a permit. And in both of those cases, there was a denial of the permit or, or a permit issued with conditions. In the Rate Bureau case, <clears throat> in the Rate Bureau case, the Supreme Court said, well, the conditions that have been applied apply to everybody, and therefore they are, they are rules and they should have gone through rulemaking. The Beneficial NC case was a little different. The Beneficial NC case said, well, there there may be these things that you think apply to you, that you're arguing are rules, but the agency has given you the option to get your permit on alternative facility-specific, or in that case, applicant-specific permit terms. And because you can do that, because you can get an individual permit that applies to you, then those things that you thought were rules are not really enforceable. As far as rulemaking is concerned, they're not really enforceable, they're not requirements, there are no sanctions attached to them, and what this court said in the Weekly Homes case is that um, a distinguishing characteristic of rules is they come with sanctions and they are requirements. So if we are to follow the Beneficial NC case and and what that court held was, if you can get a permit on some alternative (coughs) facility-specific grounds, then those things that you think are rules are not really rules because they can't be enforced against you. They're not generally applicable. And that's, uh, and, and that's straight up what the case law says. So I, I understand the argument, I understand the argument that Mr. Parker's making, but it just, doesn't, it just doesn't comply with the prevailing law from the Supreme Court in the, uh, the Rate Bureau case and this court in the Beneficial NC case.
0: Is there an opportunity for an applicant to challenge the applicability of any of those three conditions within a general permit, or is the only alternative is to seek an individual (laughs) permit?
3: Uh, I'm not sure whether. Certainly they can seek an individual permit, and when they get the, when they get a certificate of coverage, which is the document that says you now have an individual permit, it says right on that certificate, you have the right to get an individual permit if you don't like the terms in this. Uh,
2: I I don't know is it is it you have the right to get it or you have the right to apply for one because if you have the right to to get it everybody would just go that route and get the one and we kind of wouldn't need the agency then because they just get the permit that they apply for right
3: well they have the right to apply for it and the agency has to make some determination about what the proper terms are and what Miss Lawson said was that would that would be on on a facility specific basis that they'd go through that and those terms may be different from what's in the general permit.
0: Has there been an individual permits issue that did not contain those three conditions?
3: The record does not show that, Your Honor. Uh, the record doesn't show it one way or the other. There are various types of facilities that, um, you know, ha- have v- various um, uh, characteristics. Uh, I, I, all I can say is the record does not show that one way or the other. But based on the types of facilities that we have it, that are identified as individual permit facilities, I would find it hard to believe that they'd all get all of these conditions.
0: So, if if I wanted to go get a driver's license in North Carolina from the DMV, and the DMV imposed the condition, I'm going to give you a driver's license, but only if you go buy an electric vehicle. Would that be legitimate? If so, if, you're asking if, if, they- if the general driver's license was based upon a condition that in order for me to exercise that driver's license, the only way I could do that would be go purchase an electric vehicle. Uh,
3: Well, first of all, I wouldn't think that the DMV would have the statutory authority to to impose that requirement. Uh, And I guess, uh, is your question whether they could do that without going through rulemaking? Yes. Uh, If they had the authority to do that, and like I said, I doubt they have the authority to do it, and the General Assembly said, in certain circumstances that, you know, you can look at this, this particular case and decide that this person n- must use an electric vehicle. I would think they would have the authority to do that. Well,
0: but they, they can limit you to 45 miles an hour. They can limit you to time of day. They can limit you to geographic territories, right?
3: If that's within their statutory authority and I, I would strongly doubt that it is.
0: Well, they do that all the time.
3: Well, well if, it is, if it is within their statutory authority to do it, yes, they, they can do it. And there's no there's no argument here that any of the conditions in any of the permits are outside the agency's statutory authority.
0: So take it one step further, and I, I want a driver's license, but I don't want to drive an electric car. You're saying that the only way I could be exempt from that would be go and apply for an individual driver's license and not subject to the general rules.
3: If there was a... General rule that said, uh, if there was a general rule that said you had to get an electric car, uh, if there was, uh, <clears throat> if there was a, a separate process to allow you to submit an application, and say I don't want that condition, and you know you have to go through a process to get that approved, then then yes, that's. You,
0: you think the, you think they would have the authority to, to be able to do that then, if if there's a bypass route, even though it's a lot more costly or time-consuming or whatever
3: well again again they'd have to have the statutory authority and they would have to have some Demonstration in the record that that was a legitimate exercise of you know based on based on the facts it made sense There was a justification for requiring people to get electric cars in this case. There is that justification It's in Linda Culpepper's affidavit at, at Doc X, roughly 1110 and, and that hasn't been challenged I would assume if that condition came up in a driver's license permit, and the the DMV was trying to enforce that through all these drivers, that that would be challenging. And and I I can't imagine the circumstances in this day and age how that would pass muster. So I think as a substantive matter that would fall, but we don't have that challenge in this case.
0: Well, the only difference is you've got 2,000 farmers as opposed to all the drivers in North Carolina.
3: Yeah, it'd be a political problem, too, I would say.
0: Just Just by virtue of the reach.
3: Right, right.
0: Going back, uh, are, you, are you saying that the agency's statutes allow the authority, allow the agency the authority to do this without the, without the rulemaking?
3: Yes, because of that intersection I described of the Beneficial NC case and the Rate Bureau case that if something, if you're allowed to have your, your activity approved based on facility specific grounds, and you have the unfettered discretion to pursue that and get that approval, then the thing that was is purported to be a rule is really not a rule because it's not enforceable against you and and that's essentially what the beneficial NCK said:
0: You have about 10 minutes, so I, I know you want to split your time so. I'm certainly. not trying to correct that, just wanted to give you a reminder.
3: C- certainly, and I, and I appreciate that, that Your Honor. Uh, I do want to discuss um, one more thing about the rulemaking issue, and that is that the General Assembly absolutely in this case knows what's going on here, and they have absolutely no problem with the way the agency is implementing its authority in this case. And all we need to know with regard to that to make that case is that in 2003, this permit came up for renewal for the first time. It was originally came up in, in, issued in about 1997 or 1998. came up for renewal in about uh, 2002 or 2003. And at that time, clearly, the General Assembly was not pleased with the way the process was going and it enacted a session law. And what this session law did was it amended the very process that the agency was going through to renew these permits. Very similar to the process it's using today, one key characteristic was it was not the rulemaking process. The agency was renewing these permits, not using rulemaking, and the General Assembly enacted a statute and said, here's, a, here's, we want to tweak this process. So the General Assembly knew at that time the agency was not using rulemaking. And we know that because in that, in that very session law, the agency cited a rule. There's an actual citation in the session law. It's to 15A, NCAC. 2H-225, uh, and that rule is in the appendix to our brief, and the session law is in the appendix to our brief as well, and what that rule is 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 the process by which the agency renews these permits, and the process did not include going through APA rulemaking. So in 2003, the General Assembly knew full well that the agency was not using rulemaking. Interestingly enough the very same time the General Assembly was interjecting itself into this non-rulemaking process, it was also considering and ultimately enacted a session law that would substantially amend the rulemaking provisions under the Administrative Procedure Act. At the same time, the General Assembly was also enacting another statute, excuse me, a session law uh, that would require the Coastal Resources Commission to adopt its general permits as rules. So the General Assembly knew full well that the agency was not and is not adopting its general permits as rules. It knew exactly how to direct an agency to adopt its general permits as rules because it's done that with the Coastal Resources Commission over and over and over again with a number of session laws that are all cited in our brief and copied in our brief and yet Here we are today and the General Assembly has done nothing to allegedly correct this situation. This, Your Honor, is a classic case of legislative acquiescence.
0: Can you remind us about the timeline very briefly on when the Title VI was settled and when the agency started uh, including the three conditions in all general permits?
3: Certainly, the Title VI case was settled in May of 2018. And the permits were issued in April of 2019. I believe those dates are, are, are correct.
0: And how often are the permits? What's the duration of them?
3: They are, uh, I, think, I think, statutorily limited to every five years. Five years. Yes. So they come up every five years. They are, they are coming up again. And so this is, what I described, Your Honors, is a classic case of legislative acquiescence and what this court said in the AF, uh, ANF trademark case, uh, when a statute is interpreted and the legislature acquiesces in that interpretation by failing to amend the statutory provision, our courts assume that the legislature is satisfied with that interpretation and accord it great weight in arriving at the statute's meaning. The, sta- the, the General Assembly knows exactly how this statute is interpreted. As a matter of fact, the General Assembly is very careful in the language that it used in this statute because the General Assembly in the Administrative Procedure Act defined the word adopt. And the word adopt means to adopt a rule. And when the General Assembly wants to talk about other things that are not rules, it uses a different verb. It primarily uses the verb issue. It uses that to a, for, for a whole wide variety of things, but all things that are not rules. In the statute at issue here, which is the one that Mr. Parker referred to as Part 1A, the General Assembly very carefully uses the word rule, excuse me, uses the word adopt whenever it's talking about rules, and it uses the word issue whenever it's talking about permits. And in fact, the Administrative Procedure Act does the same thing. There are definitions, for example, of license and licensing that also talk about licenses being being, uh, issued and they use that word, and they don't use adopt. The General Assembly has been very careful. As a matter of fact, in 2021, the General Assembly amended the very statute we're dealing with here, 143-215.10C to create a new sort of smaller variety of general permit that applies to biogas facilities. And in that very statute, it made the amendment, and it said that these permits shall be issued. It did not use the word adopt, and that, that, that session law was enacted while this case was going on. Uh, and so, Your Honors, we think it's very clear that the, uh, the Superior Court got this right, that the record of, with regard to the settlement issue is, is very clear, that the agency exercises independent judgment. It made a number of changes to that settlement draft after the, uh, uh, f- excuse me, it made a number of changes to the permit conditions <coughs> after the settlement draft was in existence and after the stakeholder draft was out. And that demonstrates that the agency exercises independent judgment as every affiant that's on record has stated. Uh, The rule issue, Your Honors, we've been through. uh, And so with that, unless Your Honors have any further questions, that will be our presentation.
0: Thank you, Mr. Bernstein. And you have about uh, three and a half minutes left. May it
4: please the court, I'm Julie Youngman. I represent two community groups that participated in the um, Division of Water Resources process, stakeholder process, and public notice and comment process of creating the permits. Um, if I may, I'd like to devote most of my three and a half minutes to the stakeholder process because it's so important, but I did want to address your hypothetical, Judge Tyson, about the DMV, just I'm, I may have had a slightly different understanding of your question. I think you, what I heard you asking was if the DMV Decided to impose a restriction that everybody that came in starting today to get a driver's license has to prove that they own An electronic vehicle or only drive one. Yes or drive one Um, To me that is a generally applicable rule. It applies to everybody It stands in the way of every single person in this courtroom getting their driver's license that would need a rulemaking Um, That's not what we have here because in this case we know from the record these permits don't apply to anybody until somebody looks at the general permit and says, I can live with that. I'll apply for that, or I don't like that. I'm going to apply over here. I don't think I'm in the 100-year floodplain. I shouldn't have to have that groundwatering thing. So I'm going to apply for a, a, an individual permit. Um, the, only, the only comment
0: mm-hmm. I make to that is it's, it's, if you want a driver's license, you have to be a certain age and right. meet certain criteria. And it would be generally applicable. It seems to me you have 2,000 agricultural producers that cannot operate without the permit. So it, it is a general applicability to the activity that they're involved in.
4: Yes, Your Honor. And I would say there are rules that govern that. So the agency has very definitely engaged in a rulemaking process to create, they're in the uh, 15A North Carolina Administrative Code O2T chapter. There's extensive rules on how one applies for a permit, how the agency processes the permits, which uh, circumstances give rise to the agency's right to say, no, you're going to get an individual permit. You can't have the general permit. Or when a, and then a person, I guess, has an unfettered, there is no limit on who can apply for an individual permit. So those are in the rules, and they did do rulemaking process to define that elaborate process of doing it. It's the actual contents of the permit that the General Assembly was very clear is issuing, like issuing a driver's license. It's issuing, and you don't have to do an individual rulemaking for every single driver's license that's issued. Same here, you don't have to do an individual rulemaking for the permits. Um, I did just want to say, I know I have very limited time. Um, My clients were not happy with this process either. Um, One of my two clients was involved in the EPA Title VI um, proceeding, one was not. They both came to the stakeholder process, participated in it, were happy to see a whole bunch of protective um, provisions in the original stakeholder draft, and, but really disappointed that they didn't make it to the end. Uh, Farm Bureau, we we would have liked to see a whole lot more of those protective provisions make it to the end. Um, At the end of its brief, its reply brief, Farm Bureau states, once a policy concept is included in a draft permit, it's hard to get that concept removed. But that's exactly what they did. Uh, Christine Lawson, I think it's beginning on page 657 of the document, of the 9D exhibits, goes on at length about at least six major provisions, Uh, Mr. Bernstein's discussed some of them, that were taken out. They were promised that they would be presented in the settlement draft. And based on Farm Bureau's comments, by the time we get to the draft that's being presented to the public for comment, and then the final draft that's issued, or the final permit that's issued. Those are either gone or they're weakened to the point that they are back to the 2014 version. Counsel. hmm
2: Yes, would, Your Honor. Would your clients want these conditions to apply to everybody?
4: They are protective of the environment, answer, and, they, answer, and they would, an, Your answer,
2: Honor. Answer the question. Yes,
4: they would, because they are protective.
2: Would your clients want them to apply to everyone Within the scope of the 2,000 ap- ap- potential applicants.
4: I mean, yes, with a caveat. If you know, if a facility does not have a lagoon in the 100-year w- floodplain, it wouldn't make do sense. Do they
2: want them to apply to all of them? Yes or no?
4: I, I've said yes several times, Your Honor. That's as long as they make sense, um, they don't necessarily apply. You don't need the groundwatering if you're not in the 100-year floodplain, for instance. Fair enough. They would, um, yes, but they they didn't get what they wanted, I guess Do is what you, I'm trying to say, you, Your Honor.
0: You answer the question.
4: Okay. And I think, is this telling us our time is up? Just a moment. You anything
0: else? I'll give you a moment to conclude your argument.
4: Well, I would just say true to its word in the settlement agreement, the agency absolutely would not, could not, and did not guarantee that any particular condition was going to make it all the way from the 2014 permit which was the beginning of the draft, the additions made because of the settlement agreement, all the way to the final permit. We have examples of at least six that were that didn't make that. Farm Bureau is frustrated that it wasn't successful in keeping all of those protective conditions out, but that doesn't form a basis for declaring that these three conditions and no other of the 90 or so conditions that are in this permit or any of the prior permits or any of the future permits are rules. There, there's no basis for um, Deciding that these three permits and only these three permits are rules that have to go through some different process and the other 80 some 90 some conditions are not permit or not rules uh, and don't need to go through that Um, and it would grind. Permitting and farming to a halt if every permit had to go through the rulemaking. So we ask that you um, affirm the superior court. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Rebuttal. Mr. Parker you have it you have uh six seconds shy uh, of five minutes
1: thank you your honor <laughs> did okay managing my time there uh with respect to uh, the argument that you just heard with the process grinding to the heart uh, grinding to a halt uh, that's why we have general permits they are um, and 143 215 10 C sets out that general permitting process and those general permits are again applying a standard set of terms or a single set of terms to multiple um, operations at multiple sites and the reason that makes sense is you have 2000 farms they're all trying to apply and if they were all seeking individual permits it would absolutely grind the agency to the to a halt and so the general permits program is designed to be efficient it's designed to work quickly so that a farmer can apply they know what terms they're going to get and they apply for the coverage they get it and then they start continue their farming activities Um, and so I want to start there because we we keep hearing this argument about well there's this individual permit option you can always file for an individual permit or apply for an individual permit but doing that if all let's say 1500 farmers decide that they want to file for individual permits well doesn't that run afoul of the most language that the General Assembly used the General Assembly's made clear they want an efficient process and I would point you back to the purpose statement which was 21510 10 a where the general assembly says we want to have a permitting system that protects the environment i, I think it says protects uh, water quality promotes innovative systems while minimizing the regulatory burden they wanted an efficient process as part of that uh, this automatic applicability argument came up again as well but but the reality on the ground and we talked about this a little bit in my earlier presentation that, that's not Generally applicable. What I'm hearing is they're arguing that the, the permits are not generally applicable because they're not automatically applicable. But the language of the statute is generally applicable, and we walked through that definition earlier—that it's most—and and, looked at some case law. But
0: let me ask you this, Mr. Parker: sure. Are there are the conditions in the general permit that are there in the absence of rulemaking, other than these three?
1: The, the three are the ones we focused on, Your Honor. I wish I had a better answer for your question.
0: So. And I go back to my earlier question about the agency having some discretion within the statutory framework to to make decisions within a a range of authority. And I guess that's I've got to reconcile, you know, that statutory authority and discretion with having to go through the rulemaking procedure every single time they want to implement some policy. you want to speak to that?
1: Yes, Your Honor. And I would say that the rulemaking process would give the agency the ability to write a broader rule. I don't think we're, we're not contending they have to adopt the exact language every time they put something in, but there needs to be some authority for it that they can rely on and it needs to go through the rulemaking process.
0: So their argument that they have that statutory authority and this is within their range of discretion, you want to address that?
1: Uh, We would contend, and uh, the rules were not, these rules or these conditions were not adopted as rules. And so they they haven't done that here. Now I would also argue that when they're looking at whether they're going to enact a condition, they should probably do a check to see if that condition is going to be a rule. And they ought to look to 150B28A to make that decision because that sets out the standard we've, we've heard a lot about issue and adopt. We got a lot of that just a little while ago, but the, the statute you've got to wrestle with. And one of the things Judge Sternlich did not do below is wrestle with this statute. He quoted it at the beginning and then just abandoned it. But the statute here, 150B28A, that's the controlling language. And again, as what said at the beginning, these, These conditions are regulations, they regulate the conduct on farms, and they enact an enactment of the, or they enact, or excuse me, implement an enactment of the General Assembly. That's, that's, it's a straightforward, intuitive rule or analysis in our view.
2: Um, council, how, how does the every four years renewal process, how does that play into the, the decision on enacting new rules or new permitting conditions? Why, why, why do we have a four-year process?
1: Well, the, the, the process is set out by statute that, that these are going to renew, and it's just it's part of the process they go through. Rulemaking can go through that process. I mean, they, they can adopt rules if they want to think about adding something in later in a future permitting cycle. They can adopt rules to do that in the five-year period. There's plenty of time to do that.
0: And so when the renewal comes up, those would apply?
1: Yes, if they decided to add them to the permit through the through the uh, that that process, your honors, I've run out of time. So if you I'll give keep... you a
0: moment to conclude your argument. Okay,
1: thank you, your honor. Um, we would indicate, or we we contend, the superior court's ruling uh, below was an error, and uh, we would ask that you would reverse that decision uh, with a remand back to the superior court to deny the petitions for judicial review. Thank you for your time, your honors.
0: Thank you. Thank you, counsel. I uh, would like to thank counsel from both sides for good arguments and uh, appreciate the work that went into your briefs and to your arguments today. The matter is submitted. Um, and with that, Mr. Saunders, will you adjourn court?